This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs is set and begins tonight. Uh, we don't know when game three, four, five, six, seven. We don't know the whole schedule yet, but we know the matchups and we know when games one and games two will be. Leafs Panthers starts tonight. We're going to talk to George Richards from Florida Hockey now about how the Florida Panthers beat the best regular season team in the league's history and got to round two. Uh, again, that series starts tonight. That Kraken Stars, that is tonight as well. Uh, Edmonton, Vegas, and New Jersey, Carolina round out the the four second-round matchups. Those start on Wednesday. Uh, we're going to go right to the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline today because we're going to do a bit of a Flames roundtable off the top. Before we get to George, before we get to uh, the Leafs-Panther series that starts this evening, Uh, We're going to dig into some flames because Daryl Sutter, uh, that was the news of the day uh, earlier this week. Daryl Sutter is out as the Flames head coach. So no Bradtree living, no Daryl Sutter. The Calgary Flames are starting fresh from the bench in the GM spots. Another crossroads for the organization after a pretty big one last year when Johnny Gaudreau left in free agency. Matthew Kachuk wants out. Uh, they pick one path, and now they got to go down another. So with that, we're going to welcome in Logan Gordon, who you just heard on Sportsnet today. He's going to stick around for the first block of the show today. Uh, and Julian McKenzie, who joins us now on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline. Uh, guys, what's up? How are we doing? What's up, guys? Hey, everybody. Hey, Logo, you got us? I got you. What's up, friends? We can hear you, Julian. Uh, All right. You know what? Before we get to the Flames, how did everybody do with their round one predictions? Because I know, Logo, you were going through this on Sportsnet today. How did did you finish up here? What's the record? (laughs) Uh, I got three series right out of the uh, out of the eight. I'm oh, not, buddy! The Eastern Conference did not do me any favors. I was uh. Uh, I was not team upset apparently, and it uh, it hurt me pretty badly. <laughs> How did uh, who did you hit points. on? Uh, if I look correctly, I had Dallas, Edmonton, and Vegas. That's it. Uh, Julian, how'd you do? I think Dallas and Edmonton I got right. Um, Carolina got right. I might have gotten everything else wrong. Because I looked the Leafs, I said Lightning in seven. Bruins, I thought they were going to win that series. Uh, (laughs) I have a bet. I have a bet on one of the podcasts I do. uh, If the Rangers would win that series, uh, my podcast partner, Chris Johnston, would have to eat a hot dog with relish. But I lost, so now I have to do a podcast and eat a podcast, uh, not a podcast, but uh, eat a, a Putsin hot dog. I, I lost pretty badly in, in round one myself. How is that I think a I loss? That right sounds well. delightful. It sounds disgusting, and I'm dreading every waking <laughs> thought of it. It's gross. I don't know why anyone would, would think putting Putsin and a hot dog would be a good idea. It, it just does not sound like a good idea at all. Only people who, you know what? I'm not even going to judge people out here. You know what? I'm just going to stop. It's a bad idea, and I hate the fact that I have to do it. That is the... After seeing the guys with daily face-off have to eat cat food, eating a hot dog with relish and eating a hot dog with a poutine on it is like... 
a dream. So I think you're, I think you're gonna be alright. We're not crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's gross. Um, yeah, I've got to say, I'm a little disappointed. I went six and two in the first round, guys. Ooh. So I only got the Kraken and Bruins wrong. Yeah, yeah. I was all in on the Devils. I had that bruise that looked like the state of New Jersey, and I just went with my gut. <laughs> and everything else just fell into place. So we'll see about round two. I picked, uh, I got, I went Leaf Stars jersey, and I'm still not sure about Edmonton Vegas yet. I think that's going to go seven, and I think every single game is going to hit the over. <laughs> I'm a little worried. Man, I'm not sure who I want for the second round yet completely. I mean, I really like. The Leafs look really good this year, but like for people who are going into this series thinking, okay, it's going to be a cakewalk over Matthew Kachuk and the Panthers. Like Matthew Kachuk has shown, you know, he's a he's a top ten player in this league, and he and Carter Hagee and 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 the goaltending tandem of of Alex Lyon and Sergey Bobrovsky. I don't know. They, they they did enough of a surprise against the best regular season team of all time. Like people should pump their totally. their brakes on that. I I might be all in on the Oilers, unfortunately. Uh, I know a lot of people might not like mm. that, but they. They do look really good uh, with the way that they've played so far. I still have to figure out all my picks. But, uh, yeah, that second round, I'm, I'm hoping for some of that same excitement in action. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get to the Flames roundtable here. Uh, because, again, another big crossroads for the organization. So let's just start, Julian. We'll start with you. Why was now the right time to say goodbye to Daryl Sutter. I think we can all agree that it was the correct time. I think once the exit meetings were what were completed and once Don Maloney finished, you know, his due diligence, it just seemed like there wasn't going to be a path forward that worked for the organization, for, for the players uh, in the short and long run. So I think it's pretty clear but let's just, uh, I want to hear from you, Julian. Why was now the time to say goodbye to Daryl Sutter with, by the way, his two-year contract extension kicking in on July 1st? Yeah, just the fact that he and, and the players, and it's not necessarily every single player. I think there were guys in that room who who liked Daryl. I, I, I think just for the key players that it didn't work for, you need those players to step up. And, of course, I'm thinking of guys like Jonathan Huberdeau and, and Nazem Kadri. Uh, people are looking at 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 guys like Michael Backlund and Elias Lindholm and, and whether or not their futures are going to be uh, remaining in Calgary. And I think you can't disassociate their futures and their feelings of the franchise with however they might be feeling about Daryl Sutter. I, I just think that the negatives in terms of the relationships between him and his players uh, just far outweighed the positives that he brought in with some of the good things he brought with his coaching and, and knowledge and all that. And one other thing that just kind of stood out from, from Don Maloney, the fact that, you know, they, they seemingly want to get younger and they want that emphasis on younger players. And ultimately when it came down to it, Daryl Sutter, I really wanted to give him credit for, for deploying Jacob Pelty and Walker Dewar in decent moments in, in the season. But when it really came down to it, he wanted his veteran guys in there and we see so many other teams unafraid of going to younger players and seeing the seeing them be successful and the team just did not want to go down that route and I think that plays a role in, in why Daryl Sutter's not head coach today and I, I think ultimately for this team they need a, a head coach who has a more progressive vision a coach who no one's going to think that uh, the game has passed them by which I think a lot of people felt about Daryl Sutter I think it's just player relations and just his 
his outlook on the game today just not matching with what it is. Totally. And I think it's interesting because the Flames right now need a coach that is going to maximize the players, the talent, the skill sets on that roster, because the the personnel isn't going to be able to change a whole lot with the amount of big contracts, lots of term, the age. Like You don't just snap your fingers, trade Jonathan Huberto and hope next year goes better so what you need is a coach who's going to be able to maximize those players and i'm not suggesting that trading huberto is the 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 right option here either i'm just saying like the personnel it's going to be harder to move out those players so finding a coach that can get the best out of those players is going to be the right way forward i think what makes this interesting is that was typically a hallmark of the daryl sutter coaching system right is that he gets the best out of his players that's the reason that bradtree living went to daryl when uh, you know, I guess two years ago now in the middle of the season when Jeff Ward got fired as he needed a coach who was going to get the best out of those people. And I think he did that with guys like Johnny Gaudreau last year, he did that with guys like Matthew Kachuk last year. But this season, he squeezed a lot out of Nikita Zadorov and Tyler Toffoli. And that's great, but he didn't get... <laughs> the best out of the most important players on this roster. And so as I go to you, Logo, when you look at who should be replacing Daryl Sutter or who should, what the kind of coach that should be replacing Daryl Sutter, is there anybody that comes to mind to you when you're thinking who can maximize these players and who can be the right guy to usher in some of these younger guys who probably deserve to be on an NHL roster next year? Well, the, the main guy that comes to mind for me, and I know it's one that's kind of been skipped over a bit since this conversation started. For me, it's Ryan Huska because I think, given everything, he was Mitch Love a few years before Mitch Love became this next prospect of of head coaching, mm-hmm. you know, prodigy. And uh, for Ryan Huska, I think there's a nice mix of understanding the players, understanding the young guys who are still in this organization. He has that experience with Peltier and some of these guys that are set to come up from the AHL from his experience. But he also has an upper hand on outside coaching candidates who he's got a year on, you know, knowing what Nazem Kadri's like, knowing what Jonathan Huberto's like. And I think that he has uh, a good ability to work out, you know, not only the, the X's and O's of being a coach, guys, but also I think player management and people management is a big part of the game. And I think you guys would both know, you know, spending time with Ryan or interviewing him at any time. He's a very good, you know, in my mind, a good mix of both of those things. He certainly understands everything from a concept point of view, but I also see him as a guy that relates to the people, uh, the players as more than just players. They are people and can understand that sometimes their opinion might be more prevalent than, than maybe other coaches felt in other times. So for me, Ryan Husky comes to mind. And, and look, I have to admit that, you know, a guy like Andrew Brunette that's been thrown out by Jeff yes. Merrick and Elliot Friedman is one that's rather intriguing because, Haley, you talked right about it. Maximizing the top guys on this team has to be the priority. Who maximized, really, Jonathan Huberto and maybe to a degree Mackenzie Weger that year in Florida? It was Andrew Brunette. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and who's doing such a great job as an assistant with the New Jersey Devils right now? Yeah. <laughs> to the point where people, you know, there's a lot of that's people true. talking like Lindy Ruff is a 
good head coach. But I think people are looking at the Devils and saying Lindy Ruff is kind of the guy who can go in, be the people person, uh, but then he has his assistants deployed in such a way that they can have everything else clicking in a good way. Like Lindy Ruff is the people person, and he's got guys who are doing the systems on the side, and Andrew Brunette is, is doing a really good job with a very fast and high-flying, skilled New Jersey Devils team. And we look at the Florida Panthers last year, as you mentioned, with – uh, the way that Jonathan Huberto was playing, that was like a high-flying, skilled, puck-moving team. I think the question is, does that style work for the rest of the people on this roster? I think it would work for someone like Huberto. I think it would work with guys like Peltier, with Coronado. Do the Flames have the rest of the pieces that could that could work in that kind of Andrew Brunette skilled, quick offensive system. I think that would be the only question. But I'm with you. I was going to bring up Andrew Brunette if nobody else did because that's one that I've circled that's quite interesting. What do you think, Julian? Yeah, I, I see the logic in, in bringing in a guy like Brunette. And I, I think, honestly, just anyone who has any type of rapport with with Jonathan Hubert or any of those high-quality players that the Flames have, I don't necessarily think you're that far off. I don't think anyone's thought about throwing this name in, and a lot of people are wondering about his future. I wonder if Gerard Gallant would be on a, a coaching list for the Calgary no, Flames. He has an odd no. and obvious report. Here's the thing. I'm not saying I'm not saying I agree. I'm but here's the thing. Like I, I get the big flaw with him is that he did not adapt with the yeah. New York Rangers uh, in that series against the Devils. That's a big flaw against him. He did see nope. Jonathan Huberto through some successful times in junior and in Florida as well. I'm not saying he should be the guy. I'm just wondering if he's a if he's somebody who should be added to that list. But Andrew Burnett, obviously, should, I, I understand there's you know there's there's some other stuff beyond the ice that I I have a lot of questions with with Andrew Burnett uh, that kind of come to the surface. But yes, when it came to that successful year last year uh, with Jonathan Huberto, Andrew Burnett was the architect of that uh, of that well not an architect but like he played a huge role in seeing success through that and Mackenzie Weir as well. And if you're able to bring him in and also find a way to keep Ryan Huskin and all some of the, some of those other guys on on the coaching staff too, because you have to remember the way they played defensively. I know the goaltending didn't go well. I, I would hope for the Calgary Flames they're still able to to, to maintain some of that and just kind of tighten up a, a little bit in that area. They were still able to suffocate a lot of. Uh, oncoming chances the other way. I would hope that whatever happens for next year, that part of their game isn't lost. But I, I would love to see that full list. And again, with Gerard Gallant, I'm only saying just because he has that <laughs> rapport with a player like Jonathan Huberto, I'm not endorsing him as a <laughs> number one candidate. I'm just wondering what that list is like. I just hope for the flame's sake, like, you know, Ryan Husk would be a good option. A lot of people are saying Mitch Love. I still think he'd be a better assistant. This is a perfect opportunity for the Flames to look at the roster that they have and, and really go outside the box and say, okay, who out there can really maximize as we've seen the maximize term a lot who can really bring the best out of this group and they don't have to necessarily stick with internal options they can go out there and make stuff work and to bring it back to daryl sutter that was a problem that was going to be with them if he stood around they're going to have to find like some kind of sutter whisper to make it work they have a clean slate now in terms of a gm and coach in order to make this work and I think, I think you've got to go with a, a younger, fresh candidate. You've got this blank slate. You've got this fresh start. Don't retread Gerard Gallant, who just got outcoached two years in a row in the playoffs. Uh, it's not going to work. He's respected by players. He's a respected coach, but adjustments aren't his thing. Uh, and again, he got, he got outcoached two years in a row in the postseason. I don't think that's what the Flames need. I think what's interesting about a candidate like Mitch Love, uh, because we've kind of hopped over him looking at other guys, Mitch Love 
was obviously the AHL coach of the year this year. Um, he has a track record of getting a lot out of Jacob Peltier, Walker Dewar, Dustin Wolf, some of the most important young players that could and should be the future of the Calgary Flames have played well for Mitch Love over the last couple of years in the American Hockey League. And he's also implemented similar systems that the Calgary Flames have because there is that synergy between the NHL and AHL club. So you could see him transitioning well to the NHL level with that kind of system. Obviously, you can make some tweaks, make it your own. It doesn't need to be a Daryl Sutter system anymore. Uh, but Mitch Love has had some success with that kind of thing. Uh, and obviously the Wranglers have an opportunity to go for the three-game sweep in round two and, and continue on their playoff success, and that's only going to make him a better candidate. Um, let's move on from the coach conversation, though, because I think the most in, the, I think the first piece of business is getting the general manager squared away. You want the GM to hire his coach. Uh, Logo, let's go to you. Who is your top candidate for a GM? Are you on the Craig Conroy train, or do you want to bring somebody from outside the organization in? I'm on the Craig Conroy train. Um, I think especially now that you mentioned that there is no handcuff of a, a head coach there. I think given his experience in every aspect of this organization, I think having a familiar face like Craig around who has done everything from player evaluation to scouting to, you know, being a part of big negotiations, you know, being on the guy who was on the plane to bring Johnny Gaudreau to Calgary, all those kind of things. I think he's touched every part of this organization. And I think when you talk about guys who are next up and can be those, those unique thinkers, I think having a guy like him with that sort of in-house experience to me is incredibly valuable. And I also think, you know, understanding the financials that come in with this too. I'm not saying that Murray Edwards is going to hold back on what they can spend on a GM and a coach, but I think it's a lot more palatable for the Calgary flames to maybe promote a guy from within uh, and raise his salary rather than bring in a brand new one, uh, given that Daryl's got, you know, as we've heard, the reported $4 million per year on his salary that hasn't even touched the next couple of years. So I, I think Craig Conroy is as strong a candidate as there is. I mean, uh, especially knowing that, look, the timeline's not, I don't think it's impossible to bring in a new GM, but I think a new GM is going to have to lean on uh, a lot of the pieces around already and Don Maloney and others to get set for What's a very important offseason for the Calgary Flames, whether it comes to what's happening in the draft in a couple weeks' time or if it is mm -hmm. getting ahead of those UFAs that are coming up next season and can be eligible for extensions come July 1st. And he's been with the organization in like a working capacity for over a decade now. Like if, if Craig Conroy's not going to get a real good shot at the GM position, I mean... What more do you have to do <laughs> to get a look? And, and Julian, you had the, the story with Jerome McGinley on The Athletic the other day looking at, you know, Jerome has given Craig the stamp of approval. And maybe there's a bit of a question like, hey, if, if you bring in Craig Conroy as the GM, is Jerome McGinley going to come and work with the organization? You could get like, a couple wins here from two. Can we say icon? I mean, we can call Jerome McGinley an iconic uh, figure for this organization. Can we call Craig Conroy that too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Conroy's an icon. I think so give him the stamp. Yeah. If you so add you in the get, playing you career get, and yeah. the off-ice stuff, yeah. for sure. Icon. Absolutely. You could get both of them. Is the allure of Jerome McGinley coming to the organization? <laughs> is that what puts it over the edge? I think Conroy's resume is what gets him the job, but that's probably a nice little bonus. 
Yeah, like I, personally, I think it could be it. It could logo logo could be the GM of the Calgary Flames, and like if Jerome McGinley wanted to be involved in the organization in any way, shape, or form, they would take him in. I think at this point, it's a matter of, <laughs> of when and not if. No, it, and it does not it does not shade the logo. No, look, logo. Haley, me, anybody. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Jerome McGinley means so much to the organization that all he has to do is say, hey, uh, I'm very interested in having some kind of job with the organization. They would make a position for him already. I know he said to me uh, that he is committed to, to coaching at the Rink Academy next year, and, and he does want to see his youngest son eventually get into the WHL, and then he'll figure out his other family stuff. But, like, I have to think that even if, you know, all of that is going on in the background. If Craig Conroy gives him that phone call, if he gets the GM position and says, hey, man, I have a spot for you in the front office or wherever he wants to put him, do you want this job like right now? I don't think Jerome – I have a hard time thinking he'll just be like, hey, you know what? I'm just going to say no. Like, I still think it's it's very much in play for him to do it. I will say this about Craig Conroy. Unless there's some other candidate out there that is truly a can't miss. I know there's a lot of people who would love to see a guy like Eric Tulski out in Carolina get this job. This sort of feels like Craig Conroy's job to lose, as far as I'm concerned. He he has the experience in the organization. He has he has gotten some of those signings in and, and helped bring some players into the organization. His people skills, like like one thing, one positive thing about Brad Treliving was his people skills and, and and how he came across to certain people. Craig Conroy would be an extension of that as well. While one big thing I can't help but but stray away from, and I think you both see this too. This team, especially for next year, they still want to be behind this core. They want this core to work out and and get a chance at a at a playoff spot and and, and beyond. And, and I think Craig Conroy would try to follow that vision and and work on whatever Brad has has brought them to this point. And I think he would be able to do that as opposed to bringing in someone completely different who would just say, "Okay, tear every tear everything down to the studs right away." I don't think you could do that right away with the contracts that you have. And I think Craig Conroy would want to continue that vision. Totally. And I think, you know, even just putting the, the Jerome part aside, I think Craig Conroy should be the front runner for something like this. He was a finalist for the GM job in Buffalo a couple of years ago. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Like, you know, he's had opportunities and I think this is a really, uh, a really good one for him. He's worn, you know, several hats with the organization, uh, contracts, um, you know, probably done everything except for actually being the general manager. So uh, I think everybody's on the same team about the Craig Conroy conversation. Um, we got a couple more minutes here left in the round table before we move on. And we did, you know, surprisingly enough, we've got some texts in the text line who, who aren't super into having Jerome come into the organization. We should say, we're not saying Jerome McGinley should be the general manager, uh, just having Jerome be more involved in a front office perspective. But I think uh, people don't want Jerome to say, leave Iggy out of it. You don't need this organization ruining his legacy. Another text said, uh, just because you were a good player doesn't mean uh, you should make him management. Uh, you know, for example, guys like Wayne Gretzky not being a very good head coach. Uh, 
so that's a that's a conversation to have maybe a different day. I think for the most part, there's fans saying like, "Don't make Jerome do this. Like, he, don't tarnish his reputation. Leave Jerome alone." Um, so yeah, we will we'll leave Jerome again alone for now. Uh, final question for you guys: We can go logo and then Julian. What are the biggest changes you'd like to see the Flames make this summer? Whether it's in the front office, obviously we know changes are coming there, or on the ice. Like, what's the number one thing that you're looking at uh, as a, the most important thing to change this summer? Well, I think the biggest thing that has to change, knowing that the roster, I think, isn't going to be changed easily. I think the culture has to change. I think if anything that we've learned over the last couple of weeks, hearing from Don Maloney in two separate press conferences saying goodbye to the GM and saying goodbye to the head coach is that something didn't work here for a lot of people when it came to just coming to work on a daily basis. And there's so much that goes into it uh, as professional hockey players and under the scrutiny of, of fans and media that I, I think step one for this team has to be making this a better place to come to work and making this a better environment for this team or else they're not going to get anywhere they want to go Anyways, they can have the most talented team that they want to, but if this is a a crappy place to come and they're upset and they're not getting along with the head coach or the GM's not getting along with the head coach, it's just never going to work. To me, that's that's step one. That's getting the basics right before you can run. You got to walk and you got to walk through these steps. So I, I think clearly there was a disconnect there. I think that's why we've seen this place, you know, clean down to the studs a bit when it comes to the GM and the head coach's role. But for me, really... I do think there's a talented team here. I think they believed it. I mean, really, Julian, you know this as much as we've had these conversations. Uh, for all the overtime losses and for all the, the stuff that went on this year, they weren't that far out from being a playoff team, which is incredible to me, given all the, the negative nights we had at the Scotiabank Saddledome uh, following a game. They weren't that far off. So I think if you can come in here and set this culture right and set it back as a place that the guys – are excited to come to work again and, and be a team together in that sense from the GM all the way down to the players. I think that's what I want to see fixed here first for this group, J-Mac. Yo, man, like what's wild is, is like if the goaltending is at league average, they're a playoff team. Yep. If they win a few more of those OT of those OT games, they're a playoff team. If, if they win some of those one-goal games, there's so many different things you can look at from last year's roster where you could say, okay, if that's marginally better, they're a playoff team, and we look back on this year completely differently than what we're doing right now. And I guess you, off of that, you could make an argument that maybe you don't have to make that drastic of a change when it comes to this roster. I think something's going to have to change in terms of you know alleviating some space in terms of the where the team is at in terms of a, from a salary cap perspective. Uh, but I don't know if you have to necessarily reinvent the wheel here. That being said, uh, you know, great game breakers don't grow on trees. And I think that was the biggest thing that was missing from this team. I don't know if that's necessarily something that could work. And you might have to rely on your team again to to, to play well. And again, and, and Logo, you bring up a really good point. If the, if the environment is better, maybe that kind of helps facilitate things. If you are able to find a really good net front guy, a guy who was able to get some high danger chances in front of the net because he did get a lot of shots. Uh, not all of them were all of high quality. If you're able to get someone who could work on the power play there, who can be that net front guy, Matthew Kachuk, you, you had him, you lost him. <laughs> if you're able to get someone who could try to fill in that role, again, they don't grow on trees. You got you to gotta be creative and find someone who could do that. I think that would be that would be right at the top of my own list, so to speak, but I understand that is not an easy thing to find. 
I think what's really interesting about the roster construction that we might see, you know, obviously we have to see who's going to be the GM and what's his vision for the team and who's going to be the head coach and what's his vision uh, for the team. There's things that we need to, to check off the to-do list first. But what piques my interest is that we might actually see this bottom six reinvented. How many times would we do... Uh, you know, roster projections, depth charts. And it's like, well, I would like to slot in Jacob Peltier onto the third line left wing, but is he actually going to slot in there? Probably not. So let's just put a question mark for whatever depth guy they can go out and sign in free agency. So what interests me is we might actually be able to slot in some of those young players in those spots. Of course, they need to go to camp and earn those spots, but it's also not a great position to be in when you're a young player and you see, you think that you have a spot, you think there's going to be a hole that you can go in and, and win that spot, and then the organization goes and signs multiple players who play that role in the bottom six. So I do wonder if we're going to see this summer and, and coming into training camp next year spots available for young players to grab, which we know you know, cup contenders will typically have young players contributing in meaningful roles on their entry-level contracts. If the Flames can do that this summer and next year and open up some of that cap space, because Jonathan Huberto's deal is starting next year. That's a big chunk of change. Milan Lucic's deal is expiring, um, but Mackenzie Weger's deal is on. That's another big chunk of change. If the Flames can save some money by actually inserting young players into their lineup, then maybe there'll be some cap space left for a meaningful upgrade elsewhere, like you're talking about, Julian, with getting a power forward for the top six or or beefing up the blue line or wherever it might be. The Flames might actually have more wiggle room uh, because they will maybe implement some some young players, which will open up some cap. That's something I'm looking forward to is, is this bottom six going to be reinvented a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so I, did I, everyone I would, uh, disagree? <laughs> was that really stupid? No, no one disagreed. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry, I wasn't sure if Logo was going to take it, if I was going to take it, but that—that's a really good point too. Um, I would love to see a, a lineup next year where Jacob Pelty is able to get in, a Matthew Coronado is able to start as well. Uh, just seeing some of more of that youth, some of more of those younger players, guys who may have made a difference for this team if they were inserted into the lineup late in the year, but that's that we will never know, unfortunately. But I think in terms of yeah. integrating some of that young talent, that's something a lot of fans would look forward to. Totally. All right. Thanks, guys. Nice roundtable. Thanks for doing this. Uh, we'll have to do this again in a couple of weeks because there's going to be lots to talk about <laughs> over the summer with the Flames. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. See you guys. All right. All right. There goes uh, Logan Gordon. You can hear him. Anywhere and everywhere here on Sports at 960, uh, particularly on Sportsnet today. And Julian McKenzie, Flames beat writer for The Athletic. Uh, a nice little roundtable chat about the Flames. Again, lots to dig into, lots more to get into in the coming weeks as we continue to track uh, who's going to be the next GM, who's going to be the next coach, and what does this roster start to look like heading into 2024. Uh, and that conversation with Julian and that Flames roundtable is brought to you by Atlas Pizza and sports bar using the same secret recipe since 1975 you can dine in at 6060 memorial drive northeast takeout or delivery at 403-248-3344 uh, we're going to head to a quick break and when we come back we're going to switch gears start looking at round two of the stanley cup playoffs the first game of round two it's the toronto maple leafs and the florida panthers we're going to bring in george richards from florida hockey now to talk about how the florida panthers upset in round one against the boston bruins 
Conference and uh, how they can continue on what's been a really fun run for the Cats. That's coming up next on Hockey Central here on Sports at 960 The Fan. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. Hockey Central 960 continues. We're going to move on from the Flames roundtable we had in the first segment. Look at the Stanley Cup playoffs. Round two begins tonight. Florida Panthers in Toronto. Game one. 5 o'clock Mountain, 7 o'clock local time in Toronto. We're going to head right back to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline and bring in our guest, George Richards. He's with Florida Hockey now. Toronto Maple Leafs finally win a playoff series. Panthers, though, take down the best regular season team of all time. Seems like an interesting round two matchup. George, how are we doing? Welcome to the show. Hey, Haley, what's going on? Good. Not not a whole lot. Just uh, going through it. I feel like I think we're maybe finding out when game three of this series is. <laughs> How are you doing? Are, do you know where you're going to be yet? Do you know when when you're going to go to a hockey game? What's going on over there? Yeah, I don't know. One of these days, I guess they'll tell. Unless unless it just came in just now, I don't know. I you know I'm, we've been you know waiting and waiting and waiting, but one of these days they'll tell us. Yeah. There's just some insiders saying, I think it's going to be on Sunday, uh, but nothing from the NHL yet, which is objectively very funny as somebody who doesn't actually have to go to the rink that day. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, whatever. Saturday, Sunday, that's fine with us. Fine. But, you know, there's people traveling and stuff, so you'd like to know. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's Tuesday. So I'm sure they'll they'll tell us soon enough. <laughs> Yeah, we've got time. So, you know, teeing up this matchup, Game 1 goes tonight in Toronto at Scotiabank Arena. The Leafs on paper are the favorites, of course, so were the Boston Bruins. So I doubt, uh, you know, being the underdog again is going to matter for this Florida Panthers team. What's the what's the feeling with this group right now? I, I think it's just a – I don't know. You know, I, I think they're coming off such an emotional high. I mean, a week ago today, I mean, they looked – dead in the water right I mean they were down 3-1 to Boston and they'd lost two straight at home including 6-2 you know on home ice and um, things were not looking good for this team and um, I believe they were flying to Boston as we speak so you know a lot of things can change in a week here and, 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 and the fortunes of the Florida Panthers certainly have changed I think there's some relief um, you know, they're talking a good game that they're the only ones that believed in them. And that's all great. You know, of course, you know, us against the world and all that stuff. But I'm sure there was some self-doubt in there, too. I'm sure there were some guys saying, you know, if we lose game five, what, clean out Friday? And then we got the party that night. I mean, I'm sure there was some, you know, some of that going on. And now all of a sudden you're in Toronto and now you've got new life. And and now you're chasing this thing down and, and you, you get to keep going. So, um you know, I know a lot of people talk about playing with house money and all that, but, you know, when you're down 3-1 and your season is, you know, they go to overtime, you know, it, you know, it could have ended right then and there, um, and it doesn't. Um, you know, I think that they're just rolling along with it right now. I mean, two or three months ago, lots of folks were talking about how the Panthers were one of the biggest disappointments of the season, former President's Trophy on the out. Former President's Trophy winners on the outside looking into the playoffs. What changed from then 
to that first round and, and to now with this group that has them, you know, not as a big disappointment, but in round two of the playoffs? Well, I mean, if we're talking about last year to this year, obviously a lot of stuff has changed. And sorry, the, the, the schedule just came out. Um, so much has changed, right, with the Panthers from last year. I mean, they were the President's Trophy winners that played a completely different style that they do now. And that's, you know, that's why Paul Maurice was brought in here. He was brought in here to change the Panthers' style of play, um, get away from the, the run and gun and, the you know, the lack of defensive structure. Um and, and now you see the difference. It took them two months to figure it out, maybe three. Um, it took them a while to figure figure out this new style of play. But, but now you see them, and uh, there isn't much concern. If they've got a late lead of them locking it down, I mean, they've, they've done a terrific job of, of hemming teams in and, and playing teams tough. Um, there were times in that Boston series where you could see the Bruins getting frustrated that they could not get anything in into the zone and set up. And it looked like the Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning, it's switched side. It, they looked like what Tampa did to them last year. So right. the Panthers have completely changed every, a lot of you know, new players, new coaches, and, and that's it. Yeah, you can definitely see Paul Maurice's fingerprints on on this team in the playoffs. You know, they're they're playing a style that works a little bit better this this time of year uh, than last year. And I think we heard that quote. I think it was from Carter Verhage after Game Seven. It was like, yeah, we were really good last year, but playoffs are different. Uh, skill doesn't just because you're a super skilled team doesn't mean it's gonna you're gonna win. I believe that was Verhage. So I think you can see the coach's yeah, fingerprints on the way that they're playing right now. Um, I want to ask you about Carter Verhage as well. Is he some, like, how did he come to this big breakout year? And, and obviously he's having a great playoffs, but the season was, was quite the, yeah. quite the coming out party for, for a good player there. Yeah. It's been something that's evolved. Um, you know, you saw him, we saw him in the, what, the 2020 Stanley cup finals with Tampa Bay as a fourth line guy who didn't get into a lot of games um, and and then becomes a restricted free agent. Tampa Bay chooses not to to to, to tender him, and he signs a deal with Florida. Um, in the very first game, they put him on the on the top line. Like midway through the first game, Joel Quinville puts him up with Sasha Barkov, and, and boom! All of a sudden, he's a twenty goal scorer, and he's just grown from there. And now Paul Maurice likes to say that he's he's a scorer. He's a legitimate scorer in the NHL. He's a shoot first guy. That's what the Panthers want him to do. Um, because they've got that much faith in this guy. Um, and, and sometimes it just takes time for that, that kind of confidence um, to grow at this level. He's had it. I mean, he led the AHL in scoring, you know, four or five years ago. He knows how to score, but a lot of guys know how to score at, at, at different levels. And sometimes at the NHL, it just takes longer. And, you know, long answer to a short question, he's just figured it out. And with, some of the talent around the Panthers, he's been able to do a lot of great things. Alexander Barkov didn't have the most productive series against Boston. Uh, he only scored once, but he also ate a ton of tough defensive minutes, as you'd expect, and and kind of improved as things went along. What did you make of his series, and how do you expect him to be used against the Toronto Maple Leafs? Yeah, I think that would have been a story if if, Pan, if the Panthers would have lost in five. I think the story would have been where was where was Sasha Barkov, um, and he, you know, 
we can break it down, but, you know, Paul Maurice said he was very, very sick going into game one. Didn't look like himself at all in game one. Game two, eh, a little better, but not much, you know, and it just, he, he just got stronger and healthier and then he ended the series strong. Um, the Panthers need him. There's no doubt about it that the Panthers need Alexander Barkov to, to excel at this, at this time of the year. Um, and I think they're feeling pretty good about the way he ended the series. He was in a lot of stuff. And like you said, he does so much stuff on the defensive side of the ice. He takes all the face-offs. He kills all the penalties. Um, and I guess when you're sick and, you know, you're just worn down. Um, but now he says he's fine, and, and he looks fine. He looks like his old self. He's hard to get off the puck. Um, he's a driver of that, that offense. And, um yeah, they definitely need him to to increase his goals, his points, all that stuff. But uh, you know, and well, yeah, he probably he probably will against Toronto. <laughs> and maybe the no player opened more eyes in the first round than Brandon Montour. He had five goals overall, two in Game Seven. A dynamic offensive defenseman and a huge part of what the Panthers do. How has his game changed since last season? Yeah, he's really been. Um, a guy that's transformed himself. You, you talk about five goals and the most in 20 years by a defenseman in a single series, you would have thought, okay, Florida Panthers, Aaron Eckblad, that would have been Aaron Eckblad, but no, it's Brandon Montour. Um, when the season started, Florida put him up on the top power play, gave him some additional minutes, gave him some additional uh, time on the ice. And Aaron Eckblad got hurt in game three against Boston and went on LTIR Um and Brandon Montour all of a sudden goes from playing 17, 18 minutes a game to playing 25, 26, and just loving every one of them. I mean, he, you could just see this guy getting better and better. Um, and those additional minutes gave him, again, like Verhege, just more confidence. I mean, he was just firing the puck and having a great time. He ends up, I believe, among defensemen in the top five offensively um, during the regular season. And, and has just an absolute phenomenal uh, postseason so far. So yeah, it, he's been a, he's been a really nice, really nice find for the Panthers because they got him at the 2021 deadline for I think a third round pick or something, and then signed him. To, so you keep, you know, a guy who may have been a rental. Um, he's been a nice addition to this team and and has definitely upped his game this season. So I promised some of the listeners on our text line that this wouldn't be a you know. 20 minutes of Matthew Kachuk talk. <laughs> right, right. Because they Why don't need do to be reminded. <laughs> yeah. You know, what those two look like on a line together. Um, we all know what he brings to the table, but but his entire line to, with Bennett and Carter Verhage, it, it seems to work so well, and at times that was one of the best lines that was clicking for this Florida Panthers team. How how valuable is that trio of guys to what this team is doing in the postseason? Yeah, I mean, we saw it. I think I was just talking to someone about how boring game one was and, and nothing really happened in game one. And then game two, here's Sam Bennett. And uh, the Panthers are electrified. And um, Sam Bennett missed the final month of the season um, with injury. And I'll tell you what, a couple days before the series start, I didn't think he was going to play again. I saw him on the ice and he looked like, he looked like me skating. I mean, he just could not move. And um, here he is, Sam Bennett in all his glory, 
charging the charging the the net and, and doing all the things he does. That line has been absolutely crucial to Florida. Um, Sam Bennett, Matthew Kachuk just play off each other so well. Uh, Matt talked about it today in the pregame that they didn't really get to play together a whole lot in Calgary, but when they did stuff happened why they why they didn't keep them together or whatever who knows but um here in florida as soon as matthew got here they were like we don't want you with with barkov unless it's an emergency you're going to play with uh sam bennett and and it's been uh you know it's been great for florida ever since we've got a couple more minutes left here with you george we're talking to george richards from florida hockey now teeing up the florida panthers round two matchup tonight against the toronto maple leafs Alex Lyon looks like he's going to get the start in game one. Do you think he's going to stick around this time? And, and what do you think Sergei Bobrovsky brought to the table at the end of round one that maybe Alex Lyon lacked? Well, we'll see. If he does start tonight, uh, he was the first one off, but but Florida's done that a couple times in the Boston okay. series where Lyon was the first off. So I don't know. It does make sense, though, with this team – with the workload, with the emotions and all that going into tonight, maybe they want the freshest goalie out there. Paul Maurice has said he's got two two goalies that he's very confident in playing. Um, Sergei Bobrovsky was, was, was great for the last three games for Florida, winning those games against Boston. I know he gave up five in game six, but four of those, you know, he had no chance on. And, I don't think Florida was very concerned at all about it. Sergei Bobrovsky played very well. If if Lions starts tonight, it's probably because, A, the Panthers are just exhausted. They want to give Bobrovsky a rest here. Um, and, and, B, the reason the Panthers are in the playoffs, part of the reason is because out, the way Alex Lyon played in the final seven games, two of which were games against Toronto. He beats them in overtime in, 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 in Toronto to help save Florida's season back on March 29th. And then here in Sunrise, um, he goes to overtime with them um, and gets the point that gets them into the playoffs. So he has a, a recent history against Toronto. You give Bobrovsky a rest, and, and, then, and then we see where we go. But I, I don't know. Flip a coin. I don't know who they're playing tonight. All right. Well, we do know the schedule. As you mentioned, it came out right after we said, well, I guess we'll find out when we find out this. The second (laughs) round schedule is here. Uh, So game one, obviously, tonight, Florida at Toronto, Tuesday and Thursday. And then the series shifts to Florida on Sunday, Wednesday, and then the rest of the series uh, will go the Friday, Sunday, Tuesday, TBD. A lot of rest in this, Yeah. Yeah, a lot of a lot of rest for these teams. They got a couple of days off between two and three. They got a couple of days off between three and four. So, pretty interesting. Yeah, we'll see how that impacts things, and it should be a fun one. We'll see who uh, who makes it to the conference finals. Thanks for doing this, George. No, oh, you've got it. Anytime. We'll see you. All right. Thank you. There goes George Richards from Florida Hockey now teeing up, as we mentioned, that Florida Panthers Toronto Maple Leafs round two matchup puck drop at five o'clock seven o'clock uh in toronto the other game tonight is the seattle kraken at the dallas stars that's the late game they'll play tuesday thursday they'll they'll have a pretty similar schedule uh after the first couple games though things start to shift if you want the full schedule that's been posted 
on social media, Frank Cervalli, Elliot Friedman, uh, the usual suspects have that posted live right now online. Uh, that's all the time we have today, though, for Hockey Central here on Sportsnet 960. When we come back tomorrow, we will dig in a little bit more on the Calgary Flames and the second round of the NHL playoffs. Uh, coming up next, you've got Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg. So dig in more on the Calgary Flames and what should continue to be an interesting offseason in Calgary. Uh, so you can catch all of that here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.